Hey, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for working photographers. I'm Tyler Stallman. And I'm Cameron Whitman. Hey, Cameron. Hey, how you doing? Real good. How about, uh, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well, just uh, working a lot. <laughs> good way to start the show. A lot of um, mm-hmm. catching up to do, which, uh, you know, is how we start all the shows is uh, remind each other how long it's been since the last show. Which, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we're setting new records at this point. Yeah, not good ones. <laughs> no, yeah. We're almost at 50. <laughs> we're slackers. Yeah, that's true. And I'm on the road. So uh, right now I'm in um, Poland. We were in Warsaw last week. And right now we're in Szczecin, which is... The town that Anya's from. And the picture's been cool, too. It's been a really great photo trip and has given me uh, some ideas of what I want to talk about today, if you're, if you're game. Yeah, let's do it. The thing that my head has been at lately is um, wide-angle lenses in a variety of ways and how to use them and what you actually need, how wide is wide enough, why did it take me so long to want wide-angle lenses, and... Mm. Um, this is a great conversation, actually. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad you're into it too. Because I, I don't know. Is it just me? Like I, I didn't shoot very wide for a really long time. Like years of my photography was all, uh, you know, fifty millimeter plus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of when I I thought I was getting better. I started shooting with the fifty a lot, um, and then like a, a seventy to two hundred, and like that was the range I felt really comfortable in for for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. When I very very first started, I, I was borrowing a friend's seventeen to forty, and shooting like headshots with it at <laughs> like seventeen millimeters because <laughs> I thought it was so cool how close up you could get. I thought it was awesome, and I yeah. uh, didn't realize there was anything wrong with that. Um, <laughs> Not that there is. I mean, you're you're allowed to do whatever you want, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a style, right? Yeah. And then I think I had this counter reaction to it where I I didn't want to shoot wide, and I thought it was a mistake or something. I don't know. I don't know. What I was thinking, but uh, I mean, on this trip, there's been a lot of city shooting, a lot of architecture shooting, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really just made me enjoy the widest aspects of the lenses that I have here and. And yeah, what about you? What's your background with wide? Um, it kind of varies. You know, I've owned quite a lot of super wide zooms that uh, I've ended up ditching over the years. Right. You know, like I think I need it and then I get it and then I realize I don't really like it. How super and, wide are we talking here? Um, I've had several 16 to 28 around that range mm-hmm. the last one I, I think that was the the exact dynamic or exact range of the last one i had it was the um tokina oh, people like those the, <laughs> yeah the t- no, t- was, t- that seems to be tokina's market like that's what they seem to be known for is is a few really great ultra wides yeah i mean that one was was good certainly nothing wrong with the lens and you know it was useful for some things but like i really didn't enjoy using it all that much okay uh the distortion it doesn't matter between that one or any other one. Well, I guess it does matter, but it's still going to be distorted. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something that I really care for. And so then I started thinking, okay, maybe I can just use a 24 and get away with that. Um, and then I found, thanks to our friend Jordan, <laughs> his, uh, one of his suggestions on Twitter, he was mentioning how much he liked the 28. And um, I got curious, and then I ended up finding a an old Nikon AIS 28 F2 and man, I just love it. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before that the, on my Sony, the only Sony lens I have is the, is a 28 2.0. Yeah. Um, that I've absolutely loved. Like I'm, I'm always surprised this isn't a Sony lens that everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's really been great. What do you use yours for? Um, I've mostly used it for um, like the same kind of thing that you were just talking about, like doing architecture and like um, environmental portraiture and stuff like that. I find it to be a really fun walk around lens. If I'm if I'm going to take out the film camera, you know, and I only want to have two lenses, I take the twenty eight and the fifty, and I usually start with the twenty eight and only use the fifty if I need to narrow it down. Okay. Um, but yeah, I find that 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 length it seems. It's just wide enough for most things without having without going too far. Yeah, um, I find that with with twenty four because I do have the twenty four to seventy, um, and whenever I use that, I find that when I'm all the way to twenty four, 
yeah, I'm, I'm annoyed with the, with the look. I feel like there's just a little bit too much edge distortion. Right. Um, and I'm usually using that for like group portraits and stuff like that. And it drives me crazy. You know, like I'd rather just take a few steps back and use a longer length. Right. If I well, can. Do you, do you use 24 seven pretty often? Like that's, that's been my almost all the time lens lately, but. Um, well, I, I'm, it's funny cause I've gone through many different, uh, trials with that with that lens where like i decided that this lens is so boring and i'm not inspired to use this lens <laughs> yeah, yeah um but i use it exclusively for event work you know and there's never a time that i don't take it with me yeah i think that's what it's made for really yeah and that, i think that's where it shines and, and i'm always kind of amazed by the quality of the lens because i don't use it that often if i go a month without shooting an event i won't touch that lens hmm. and so when i grab it again and i look at the photos i'm always just like wow Things really good, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, it's it's just the thing about it is that like if I'm gonna use if fifty is what I'm gonna rely on, then I have a better fifty right. in this in the sigma, and seventy is kind of a weird length. Yeah, I, I always find it really interesting the way that because often I have the twenty four seventy and the seventy two hundred, the way that that same length of seventy millimeter suddenly feels so different as you switch between lenses, because mm -hmm. when you're on the telephoto lens you sort of set yourself up so that 70 feels kind of wide. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, I can I can fit what I need in here. It's giving me a bunch of extra room. And then once you switch down, you're, you're standing closer and you're treating your subject differently. And then all of a sudden, 70 feels telephoto. And I think this is part of the effect of zooms and why I think a lot of people wouldn't recommend them for uh, beginners. Yeah, well, okay, that's, that's the wrong way to phrase that. Okay, obviously beginners, yeah, buy a zoom. <laughs> um, but I mean to say that recommending primes as a good way to improve your photography because yeah. it's it's such a part of your decision making of how you take the photo is the focal length and mm -hmm. that you know with a zoom you're often not making a decision you're just pushing in and out to make the framing work without deciding that you want to be at 24 or want to be at 28 and then you position yourself accordingly, right? You're just arbitrarily moving the, spinning the uh, lens to the place that it Which is a very should be. crushing thing to do, mm -hmm. you know, because it can really just, it creates a crutch for you that is a really difficult crutch to get off of. Yeah. And I see it all the time where it's just like, wow, that was a really poor choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's kind of like um, auto exposure that, yeah, of course you need it sometimes. Like this, this is something you're going to use and you don't always need to think about your focal length, mm -hmm. but if you don't know how to, then you're, you know, you're screwed. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I mean, I think that distance to subject, that relationship with your lens is probably one of the most important things mm -hmm. because you want things to look natural and to look correct or yeah. i think that that's what the human mind wants whether or not we realize it or not whether it's subconscious or or conscious is is probably up for debate but i think that, that when we just glance at a photo you know if it's distorted then that looks wrong well and i think it's something that's under considered for um for the first while for a lot of new photographers is is yeah distance to subject the distance between the foreground, like a subject and the background, mm -hmm. um, all those ratios, just how important they are and what a huge part of taking a photo it is. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you can really overlook that by just thinking about the gear. Like that's when just thinking about gear steers you in the wrong direction. You're like, I need a 50 because that's what everybody told me to buy, or I need a wide lens or whatever. You know, you, th you think about the lens first instead of the photo you're trying to take first. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to try to explain a situation that that I see a lot. Hopefully bear with me, hopefully this works. All right. Um given with like a 50 or a 35 um prime that is like a 14 or something that's really fast. For most people, I find that it's not necessarily just the bokeh that they're excited about or wanting and that's the reason that they get that lens but it's yeah. also just the the separation from the subject to the background yeah 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 so what i see a lot of times is that people realize okay so you know a 50 wide open will create this effect and that becomes the crutch and then what happens is that they're not paying attention to the distance to subject so they're constantly shooting at 1.4, regardless of, of how close or, or far they are from that subject. The great example 
um, is that taking a, a full body portrait on a 50 millimeter at 1.4 can be amazing. But then as you take a step closer, or then you take two steps closer, and pretty soon you're just head and shoulders, and if you're still at 1.4, if you don't nail the focus on the eyes, mm-hmm. then you're not going to have any focus worth talking about. Well, and that distance closes so quickly, too. So quickly. You know, when you're five feet away compared to two feet away, the depth of field just vastly huge, huge change. I mean, it's it's similar. Maybe it even is the same uh, rules of that the light fall off follows. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just this logarithmic scale that just really quickly as you close that distance... Uh, depth of field um, vanishes. So yeah, and then you know, depending on your focal length, you know, so if you're using a longer lens, it's going to condense all that information. But if you're using a wider lens, it's going to expand it. And so you know, depending on on what you want to see in focus or what you don't want to see, you got to be really careful. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just I can't say it enough. Do not use a fast lens as a crutch. Yeah. It's just a, it's a terrible thing to do. And I know that you especially don't fall into that category because you almost never go below 2.8. I'm looking at, um, I've got two random days here from this trip. And I was kind of curious, like, how do I shoot without mm-hmm. thinking about it? So I'm going to just kind of look at some of my statistics. Like under F4, I have 850. So uh, about half were under F4, and that's down to 2.8. Then F4 to 5.6 is 500, and then over 5.6 is 100. Okay, that's that's kind of interesting ratios. I thought I'd been shooting a bit more around 5.6. Maybe that was the last couple days, depending how sunny it is. But I've I've definitely, like, I'm usually pushing up lately. I'm I'm reaching for higher numbers, um, which is just so not the way I used to shoot. I, I always think it's... It's, it's just interesting the way that your taste or your habits change over time. Absolutely. And I think that once you, I, I mean, I think that with photography just in general, you have to do something so often to really understand how it works. Yeah. Um, and probably the best thing for me has been shooting food because, you know, there's just certain things that, that I have to be mindful of in order to to nail my aesthetic and get something that either my clients, uh, my direct clients or stock clients will buy. Well, this is why I always think it's so strange to me that a lot of photographers, I mean, not most, but it's, it's pretty common that I know a lot of photographers that don't really bring their camera with them anywhere. Like they have their job, their photography job, and that's the only time the camera comes out. And then, you know, the rest of the time it's their cell phone. And I feel like I need to, hold my camera more often than that. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's how it becomes a really comfortable tool. Like how well can you operate your camera with your eyes closed? Do you know exactly how to change all of the settings without reading the feedback on the displays? Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff's really, really helpful as you get better at it. And I'm not perfect at it by any means. I, like I still make little stupid mistakes of, you know, switching ISO when I meant to switch white balance or whatever. Like I, I fudge well, of it course. up, but yeah. I intentionally, use my camera more often to try to get more comfortable with it so that I can just do the thing I want to do instantly without thinking about it. And yeah, I, I just always find it interesting when people that do photography for work don't, um, I guess don't like holding a camera as much as I do. I don't know. Yeah. I find that to be curious too. Um, you know, and I think that a good way of thinking about it is, uh, you know, you play guitar and I play guitar. So that's well, something that very we can poorly. Yeah. Yeah, but well, I, it's I, something I we can relate. Guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, when you're when in order to play the guitar well, like okay. you have to you have to be able to, and especially with your eyes closed, like you have to know with the relationship from right. where your arms, you know, the distance of your, where your arm is to the guitar, and like how it's going up and down the fretboard. Yeah, and you cannot be proficient unless you do it all the time. Totally. Yeah, you and, need to know the feeling of five frets because you're sure as hell not going to count them when you're playing. Right, you can't. So I think of that very similarly to how I use my cameras. I need to know how to use all the controls that I need. You know, there are certainly controls I don't use, um, and so I don't feel like I need to know those as well. But 
based on the way that I shoot and the subjects I shoot, I need to know how to make those moves without thinking about it. Well, you know what I want to be like is people that play something like a fretless bass or, or anything fretless. I mean, a violin as well, but where there isn't even something physically there to, um, to feel that you're in the right position. Yep. You just, you really need to get a feeling for that distance, but that's where I would love to be with a camera. You could take all the buttons away and I could just, I would be able to press my fingers into the right places, even without physical buttons there. Um, so which cameras of yours could you say are closest to that? Uh, I mean, the, fi- the 5D series, which I'm glad hasn't changed a lot over time. It, it's just because that's what's in my hand all the time. And the, Sony is still the opposite of that. <laughs> I've gotten more comfortable with it the, the more that I <laughs> shoot with it. But but that's a big challenge with Sony's is um, there's a lot that kind of needs to be customized. Most Sony users will customize all these custom function buttons, and a lot of people will sign them the way they want. So if you pick up somebody else's Sony, it's all gone. Like you can't swap them. Um, and if you buy a new one, you need to reconfigure it exactly the same. Um, and I, I don't love that. I, I, I like that... Canon kind of did the work for me to discover a great user interface that I can just learn and get comfortable with and then stick with over years Mm -hmm. um, instead of trying to find a a good way to use the camera myself. Yeah. So I I find that the, so far, I think that the, you know, I I got really used to the DF Mm -hmm. and then I got the D750 and I still have the DF, but. um, Are are they especially different? They, the DF has uh, like all the manual, uh, yeah, so the stuff. DF is is much more like using a an old manual camera. Like you can still put it on aperture priority or shutter priority. You can still do a lot of the same things that you can do with any other DSLR. The, everything's in weird places. Like the ISO dial is particularly kind of odd. But once I became used to that, then it became a lot more odd to just find the little button, <laughs> you know, right. and then use the dial yeah. because it was just, it was a single thing rather than a dual thing. But in just in using the 750, um, not just because of the, um, the controls, but also the ergonomics, everything just feels like it's in the right place. And so everything is, is uh, intuitive. I don't have to think about it anymore. I mean, obviously you have to learn the camera, but it feels really great. But when I grab a different camera, it's kind of like what you're saying, like the interface is similar throughout all the Nikons. But each one of my bodies, a lot of the controls are in completely different places. Right. Yeah, I've, I've, every time I've picked up a Nikon, I've, had, it, I've just been so lost. And maybe it's, there's just something in the way that it's different than a Canon that is harder for my brain to connect to than, say, a Pentax, or now a Sony, because I've gotten comfortable with it. But uh, mm. I, I still am totally clueless once I pick up an Nikon. Uh, someday I gotta, I, I gotta put a little time into yeah, it. It's exactly the same when I grab a Canon, and you yeah. know, somebody hands it to me and says, "Take a picture." I'm like, "No." Well, and this is because <laughs> you're gonna I, judge me. <laughs> I think it's kind of crazy when people try to express a strong opinion for the brand that they use. If they haven't spent a similar amount of time with the competing mm-hmm. brand, I, I would never have good reason to criticize or even really, you know, praise a Nikon other than secondhand information. Right. And it's so weird when when people get really brand loyal about this stuff when they haven't experienced the the greatness or the pitfalls of of other brands. Like I I have I have nothing to to speak to about an icon until I've spent <laughs> a couple of years shooting it, you know? Same. You know, in the moments, in the brief moments that I've held cannons, I I told myself, no, I'm gonna stick with Nikon. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it's just exactly the same thing. And unless you've done a good amount of or given a lot a good amount of effort, then what can you really say? So I'm gonna drift back to lenses a little here. Um mm-hmm. out of my fifteen hundred photos, uh nine hundred were shot wider than 35 millimeters. So actually 650 at uh, 24 millimeters. So that's a lot more than at 70 is only 116. So I was, I was shooting really wide. Well, and I think that that makes sense when you're, when you're doing a walk around, you probably want to soak it all in. Yeah. You want to get the the scene and depending again, depending on the distance to whatever subjects you're at, it's more likely unless you're going for, an isolated type of detail shot that you would shoot wider. Oh, so I almost sent this to you in a text message, but uh, I decided to say it on the show instead. Um, just I've been thinking about how much 
I've said this on the show before, how much I regret that I bought a 90 millimeter tilt shift instead of a wide tilt shift. Like <laughs> I went to the store, I went to the camera store, the camera store where, where yeah. Jordan works. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I bought the, the 24 millimeter tilt shift uh, when mm-hmm. it was a, a new lens and it recently came out and I shot with it for a day or two. And I was after the tilt shift effect. I was going for bokeh, going for blur. And I'm like, you know what? This is so wide that I have to shoot it wide open. And then there's not even a really strong blur unless the person's close to it. I'm going to go for maximum blur and get the 90 millimeter. And (laughs) I did. And I haven't shot a tilt shift photo in years now. This is not an application that's ever important to me to, to get the blur. But I would use it for architecture all the time. I would love to have a wide angle tilt shift lens on this trip. Like it would be so useful very often and I just, I'm, I'm not going to go back I, they're so expensive I, I, I wouldn't use it very often so I'm probably never going to reverse this decision I love that you brought that up because I had the exact same thing like I, I bought the 85 for exactly yeah, the same right, reasons right. the only thing Forget different that is one. that yeah the only thing different is that I did not buy the 24 first you, you, right okay you didn't almost do the right thing first then, <laughs> no. which makes my mistake even more embarrassing but i really wish i had the 45 i think yeah yeah or the or the 45 i mean for it depends on exactly the use for me it specifically is um i want it to shoot buildings that are straight or or rooms so i, I would actually even uh go wider um Maybe no, maybe the maybe the twenty four. I don't know. I'd consider going wider, but uh, yeah, definitely not ninety. Like what? What is that lens really for? Like when it was originally built, tilt shift blur wasn't trendy. So, so what were people were people shooting ninety millimeter architecture photos? I don't get it. No. What? What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, and I, and you know, I've learned how to use mine in my in my own ways, I yeah. guess. And you know, the sad thing is, is that. I've tried to sell it a hundred times and I can't get the money that I need from it. By the so way, I, this episode is brought to you by either <laughs> of our tilt shift lenses. If anybody wants to buy an 85 or 90 millimeter tilt or, shift. Or trade. Yeah, or or trade. trade. Sure. If you're tired of your 24 or your 45. Your, your then, useless wide angle tilt shifts, <laughs> uh, bring them to us. Yeah, I'll be happy to, to trade because, you know, I actually enjoy the, the 85. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh yeah, my, the 90, also this is a great lens. It's a very good lens, like well made, very sharp. Oh yeah, the optics are ridiculous. Yeah. you know, like I like shooting food with it, particularly if I'm on a tripod because right. manual focus and tilt shift. But um, you know, like the the clarity of it is is gorgeous. You know, it's just it's the color and everything is just incredible. But yeah, yeah it's the it, only it's time so, it still comes out for me is like a quasi macro, almost like tabletop stuff where I need to spread the focus a little bit yeah Yeah. and outside of that mm. (laughs) like one of the things i really like doing is is if i don't have a particular subject to work with but i need you know want to do some walk around and and i want to get some stuff that can be used as stock then i find a tilt shift to be great in the city because then if i see the composition and I want to include people, but I don't know them. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Then I can I can trick it out and yeah, yeah. still have it be about that thing. But then there's this kind of nice blur mm-hmm. rather than something that would be added in Photoshop that would look like crap. Yeah, that's a really smart trick because it's it can be hard to get that blur. Otherwise, I mean, you basically can't. Um, <laughs> you can't get that blur uh, with. I mean, you, depth you of can't really do it in camera. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't work that way. You know. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is you're changing the relationship of the the plane of focus. Um, you can't just do that. I mean, yeah. I guess you could freelance. Yeah. Um, but yeah. even even that is it's that feels more lens baby to me than it does tilt shift. So I'm not so really. What I, what I was thinking about part of the reason I've also been shooting very wide as wide as I can is because of this straightening need. Um, yeah. And actually, 24 often isn't wide enough for this to level out buildings in a tilt-shift manner where you're getting the sides straight up and down. Correct. So what I'd kind of been thinking about is getting something... Okay, it's also got to be portable. I have a 16 to 35. Mm-hmm. I don't bring it with me very often because it's it's big. It's, as, it's about as big as the 24 to 70. I like it. 
it's it's really useful when I use it, but it's never with me. I, I always just resent it a bit too much. I know I'm only going to use it for one or two photos at an event or at whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to leave this one at home. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of thinking about um, there's these little Voigtlander ultrawides for the Sony. So they're basically like a lenses, you know, made for like a cameras previously. And they there's a 10 millimeter, a 12 and a 15. So they're, I mean, the 10 is crazy. Like that's seeing behind your head and they're all rectilinear. So no, no uh, strong distortion. Like obviously if you're close to the subject, you get distortion, but no additional curvature. And uh, yeah, they're really small. Hmm. I don't know. So I was kind of thinking about that. Um, it'd also be good for vlogging. So, but, and, and, and I'd have them with me, but um, yeah. Do you do this distortion correction in post? Incessantly. Yeah, it's it's so important to me that I almost wonder if I have a problem. Oh yeah. Uh, well, in in our household, Anya has the problem. I <laughs> I, f- I fix them up a bit, but whenever I think I've nailed it, she's like, "Why is that image crooked?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Oh, it makes um, me crazy. So it's probably that's that's you. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, in, in, it at work <laughs> it's Doxy. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen Grantham and I constantly. We're just like staring at my our, photos our, and saying, uh, <laughs> why is this so bendy? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. cause yeah. Convergence is, is unless it's being used to affect, then it's mm-hmm. terrible. Like I really just, I hate it. That said, I have a new pet peeve <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because I, um, I, since last time we talked, I, I got a new view camera. So v- view a four by five view camera. Oh, Okay. Tell me more. So it's a large format camera that allows for tilts, swings, and shifts, you know, and it's, it's primarily for, it's very slow use. You know, it's not, you don't carry the thing around. You you don't take this camera out without a concrete plan. Yeah. I've played with other people's, uh, like moving those bellows around is. um... So the thing, the thing that's been the pet peeve is that, you know, I've been looking at more large format photography and, and particularly architecture. And, you know, now I'm seeing like when people push it too far, because what they're doing is they're shooting from too low of an angle mm-hmm. to get to get a building. And rather than like either move back or find a way to elevate the camera, they're just, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and shoot from this angle and shoot it up. And then they, they overcorrect it. And then yeah. the top of the building, even though the vertical lines are straight, the top of the building everything looks look, crazy. Yeah, because the top okay, of the building yeah. is like real heavy looking versus the the bottom, which is all of a sudden gotten somehow skinny. Mm-hmm. But the lines are straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, a totally fair. Uh, yeah, so like I I have uh, I, I you know I'm nitpicky about this issue, and like it comes down to using the correct lens and using the correct distance. And also, you know, particularly with using view cameras or tilt shifts, it's also about being at the right height. Like, as if uh, if straight lines are critical, then you have to be midway. Right. Like, yeah. you just have to be. So, if you're shooting tall buildings, you may as well go ahead and use the, the convergence to your advantage rather than trying to correct it. Well, yes. Yeah, so what do you think the right thing to do? Like, somebody in my position... Uh, you know, kind of wandering around. I'm on the road. I'm not going to be able to bring anything big with me. I'm not going to be able to find a crane to put me at the right position for for a building photo. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just kind of go like find a balance? I mean, this is what I've ended up doing is I kind of I, I correct it all the way and see what that looks like. And then mm-hmm. yeah, I I start to get that effect of like wow, this looks completely unreal and like garbage. And then I just back it off so that I can see the the lines are starting to bend inwards, and I just find somewhere in between that I'm like, okay, hopefully nobody notices. Um, yep. Am I doing the right thing? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because at that point, you're just trying to document the you know the area in in the in a way that that feels natural to you. It's not necessarily for a client, you know, like right. you're not selling it to the architect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or something like that. So, like at that point, there's there's a bit of of, uh, there's a lot of wiggle room to be honest with you. Um, what irritates me is, is seeing people use these, I guess this, these tools or that effect to a point where it makes it look not real. And then I just look at it and go like, Oh, boring. <laughs> like, why did you do it? <laughs> um, which is, I think is, I think is kind of funny. Like, why do I 
do that, but I, it's probably because I'm an editor. <laughs> do you think that a normal tilt shift can distort it that much to, to the point of ruining the photo? Um, I, I haven't used a wide tilt shift for so long. I don't really remember. I've never used a wide tilt shift, so okay. I don't. I don't really know. I suspect not. You know, the the kind of moves that I've made with the eighty five to try to correct, you know, vertical lines has been mostly vertical. By the way, mm-hmm. um, has been limited. I've used it more for the to to get in a blur effect than yeah. to correct lines, just because it's not really the right length. Yeah. Well, in at eighty five, how often? Are your lines doing that? You're usually not pretty damn rare getting that effect. So, yeah, and I mean, you have to be really far away from something mm-hmm. for that to have that the, the desired effect that you're looking for that we're actually talking about. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, you're going for something else. Yeah. <laughs> frankly. Uh, so I I just sent you a link to this article in DP Review the other day. Um, yeah. And I'm totally not going to the details of it. Um, okay. There's just this one part. So everybody go to show notes and click on this link um, or not, because I'll describe it. Uh, so in the middle, um, it has this just really quick explanation of uh, the equivalence of different formats, of, um, sorry, sensor sizes, and the equivalency of different lenses, compression, and depth of field across those. And um, I just wanted to point out how interesting I think it is to see uh, there's a full frame 70 millimeter f4.5 photo, and then you can mouse over to switch it to an APS-C at 46 millimeters and 2.8. You don't have to remember those numbers. It's just like we're taking full frame an SP, uh, APS-C sensor, and how exactly the compression, depth field, and everything matches between these two completely different settings. And I, like I know in the back of my head that these things must converge somewhere. I always know that they can, but I hadn't seen an example before of where they do. And now I, I realized how I don't have a good mental model for those relationships, like comparing it to the exposure triangle, right? When you're yeah. learning photography, people show you this triangle and they, they describe how if you move ISO in this direction and you move shutter speed in this direction, then you know th- th- this is the effect and you can physically build a, a mental model of how these things relate to each other. I've also seen examples of that with how depth of field works and distance relationships, um, where you see intersecting lines and kind of how they how they form the you know, the amount of distance that's in focus. Right? There's all the stuff that you see in textbooks, but I haven't seen anything that gives me any visual representation of when does a small sensor and a large sensor end up looking the same. I don't know. So I just wanted to like throw that out there. Like, do you have a a, a trick to this? Have you seen a a good way to explain this to anybody, especially me? No, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I feel like I've been waiting for this myself. So yes, somebody, somebody out there, send us the definitive article on this. Um, But yeah, I mean, 70 millimeters at 4.5 is equivalent to 46 millimeters at 2.8. Isn't that interesting? In, In every way. Um, so the argument of this article, it's actually talking about the new Fuji and like, does it make sense to get a medium format camera when you're going to spend this much money on it? And a lot of the things people think of as advantages may not be there, um, specifically because the Fuji lenses aren't all that fast. So if you're buying the medium format for the extra depth of field, you'll be it'll be challenging to find it. That's, um, that's kind of what they're talking. So about. when you say extra depth of field, you're talking about a, sh- a shallower depth of field. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. Extra bokeh, less depth of field. It's really a curiosity. And, and to be honest with you, I don't feel like I'm knowledgeable enough in the different formats, even though I shoot them. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't shot them extensively enough to have the answers to that. Yeah. I've been putting in, a good effort to shoot my Mamiya 7 a lot more this year. It's been my go-to camera to take out. Mm-hmm. But um, comparing it is kind of useless because there's I don't have another rangefinder. The lens, none of these lenses are fast. <laughs> they're right. all yeah. slower yeah. lenses. Uh, they're meant for maximum depth of field instead of minimum. And I don't know that I can make any of these types of comparisons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I understand... In terms of focal length, like what the comparisons are, you basically double it for a medium format to 35. 
And I guess that's it's similar from APS. What is it like one point five or something? Like that? Uh, yeah, one point six, I think. But but yeah. but like, isn't it challenging that or frustrating? It's frustrating to me that I can't visualize what change that will make in compression and depth of field. Yeah, no clue. <laughs> I know how my full frame is going to behave because it's what I use the most often. Like I just kind of know what it's going to do. But in the way that I can do a quick calculation that I, I, I know how the, sorry, the focal length is going to shift. If I move my 50 millimeter from one to the other, I know I know how the the width is going to change, but I totally don't know what to expect the compression to do differently in the, in the depth field. So I don't know. But that's a that's a personal goal of mine to someday have a really clear relationship with this. Yeah, and I don't think that I'm going to be able to do that myself until I have a DSLR type or an SLR type of medium format camera. Right. Yeah. Something you can and keep shooting with do direct comparisons side by side. Yeah. And I don't know that I'll ever have one to be well, honest. But, with I mean, but you could do a lot of this learning with a um, non full frame with an APS-C sensor as well. Yeah. I mean, if we, if we want to put the effort in um, and you know, something else that I, that I do actually quite often is I AB the Mamiya and my, uh, my Fuji class. They're roughly the same focal length. Uh, they're a different format, um, six by seven versus thirty-five millimeter. There's quite a bit of difference, but yeah. um, I'll often, you know, shoot the same scene with both cameras just so I can see what the differences are, and I'll even shoot them at the same or at the uh, the similar aperture. And yeah, I think that it's it's always kind of interesting to see that, but I, I guess I haven't thought about it in quite the way that you're asking. And, you know, I can't give you the definitive answer on, like, what is what does what. And yeah. I, I feel like all I, I know is that if I want more information, then I pull out the memory. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I did. I came up with this sort of diagram that in my head, I'm like, okay, that I can tell it's approximating it, but um, how things would move. But I, I couldn't really illustrate it in a useful way. So if anybody out there knows, like, a little, uh, you know, example on the internet, I'd love to see it. Yeah, for sure. And especially with large format. Are, are you interested in any of these uh, larger format digitals, by the way? Like the, the Fuji, no. for example? No. I'm curious, right. right? But until I see a without question reason that I have to do this, mm-hmm. it's just not even something that, that's going to happen. Yeah. Like I have to need it. it. Well, and I think with digital, it's become, uh, I, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. Yeah, yeah, I would need to have it, and that need would be because I don't, I don't even know what job I would need, like have to have one for, because the resolution out of something like the Sony or what's that really good Nikon, the eight ten, yeah, those are incredibly sharp cameras, and if you put a sharp enough lens on there. Well, if you don't, you're going to be screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you got it. But it, if you, what, what, how big are you printing these things that you need more than that? You know, it's just um, not. Yeah. yeah. So it's just so much. Yeah. You know, I the the one thing that I have seen just because, like, you you know, when you're when you're trying to teach yourself something new, hmm. you know, you might grab some inspiration shots and then say, like, okay, I need to recreate this. And I'm going to say this out loud just because I want everybody to know that, like, it's never okay to to then try and sell that work. Right. Pass it off like, as, like, yeah, this was as my something thing. that you, yeah. Right. Um, in my earlier days, I might have done some stuff like that and then, you know, realized later on that that is some shady stuff and that mm-hmm. you shouldn't do that. Um, be true to your artistic self and create your own work. But as far as a learning exercise goes, um, it can be quite useful to look at a composition and print out the photo maybe and and just try to recreate it and just figure out, you know, okay, so what did the lens do? What am I doing with what um, the tools I have? um, And how is it going to change to get this type of of result? And something I've discovered is that quite a lot of the food stuff that I really enjoy was very, not not very, I can't say very clearly, I, I suspect was shot on medium format, just because I can't get the same compression from my digital SLR. You know, and it's not a lens issue. It feels like it's a it's a format issue. It's like the, the, that larger format of compression just does something different. Mm-hmm. God save me for trying to <laughs> define that. Yeah. You know, but but yeah, I can see it, and it's hard to yeah, it's so hard to describe. But so I think that you know, depending on how far this goes for me with food, 
there's the potential for it, but it's not likely that I would end up going the route of the Fuji. I'd probably end up going the 645Z or something like that, where I could have all the control and lenses and all that. Yeah, that Pentax is great. That's the, I mean, it's the only yeah. digital uh, medium format I spent a lot of time with. Um, but having mm-hmm. quickly played with Hasselblad's as well, I, I, I love that Pentax. I would take it any day. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to buy one to use professionally, that's the one I'm going to buy. If I was going to buy a luxury camera that I thought was going to be super hip and cool and make me feel like I was a badass on the street, I'd probably want to get that Hasselblad. Have we talked about that? That, I think that that's a good, really short topic. We did. Did we? If you were going to spend way too much money just for like a trophy around your neck camera what would it be yeah i don't think we talked about it in that context but we did talk about the uh the Hasselblad just when it came out when it was announced but right, we didn't right. talk about that that concept no um but yeah i mean it, it's just like I, I tell the people all the time like how many professional photographers do you know that that use a leica for their <laughs> for their work like zero <laughs> yeah leicas are for very serious hobbyists yeah that do really rad work. No, no, I'm not dissing your work. Your work is incredible. Um, it's just not the the best tool for making, for doing consistent professional work or jobs or or really successful professionals on the weekend. Yeah, totally. That's their weekend camera. Um, but yeah, so I think that you're, you're following along with what I'm saying. Most people that buy those cameras are, you know, dentists and whatnot. They're not necessarily professional photographers. They're people who are just, they're probably more into photography than we are, to be honest. I mean, if yeah. you're going to spend $4,000 on a lens for a 35mm format, like you're probably super into photography. Well, and, you know, you it know, makes me wonder, stuff. should I maybe not have become a photographer and become a dentist instead? <laughs> <laughs> because that, that new Leica looks pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, it's just the thing is, is the, the differences are so negligible for the amount of money that... Do you really want to pay taxes yeah. on that? Like, I don't know what your ta- Canadian taxes are, but everything that I use for my business, I have to pay a business tangible tax on that. So it makes zero sense for me to own expensive stuff that I don't use all the time. Yeah. Kind of like my 85 millimeter tilt <laughs> Which is available for purchase. Anybody's, Call now. If anybody's interested, like, just let me know and I'll give you a good deal. <laughs> it is a rad lens. Oh. I just pulled up, I think this is the newest one, right? The Leica M10, which is like finally a true sequel to the the other M series because it was the 240 before. Oh, it really is beautiful. Yeah, and I'm not even going to look at it. I mean, it just looks like a traditional Leica in all the right ways. That'd be my my dream trophy. Yeah, I mean, if I want to, like maybe after I retire or something, if I ever retire and I want to pursue my Brisson, you know, late in life decisive moment... Then maybe I'll I'll look at getting that camera, but no, I mean just in in terms of the way that I conduct my business, like it just it would never make sense for me. Yeah. But for the medium format, like yeah, I mean if I end up, I don't even know how to how to explain it. Like I would just have to have so much money to justify. <laughs> That's one like, way to explain it. Well, and I'd probably actually spend that money uh, on a video camera. You know, the, the money that goes into like M10 could. Uh, very very reasonably go into a good video camera that you would you would see that money in the in the final image you could spend a lot more than that you can spend um you know up to, up to a hundred grand where you're still seeing it get better um yeah. which i don't i don't think you're going to see it in the image um, with with photography and also i think that because i, I use lightroom still um, and I like it. I'm comfortable there and I can do the job that I want to do and need to do in Lightroom. Um, I'm not really interested in Fuji at all right now mm-hmm. with the digital, with the X-Trans sensor, just because of the way that it that it works with Lightroom. Um, that different filter array that they use, the non-bare right. filter array, the X-Trans, is just, if you use it the same way as you do a Nikon or a Canon or anything else, for that matter, it just looks like total crap. Yeah, I've heard you talk about that. I haven't had to deal with it. Yeah, I I see it a lot. You know, stock photographers love these Fuji cameras because they're they're really light, they're compact, and they're they're great cameras. And they look super cool. And they look super cool, which I think is probably the more important thing to a lot of people. Otherwise, I mean, why would you not buy the Olympus uh, mirrorless versus the the Fuji mirrorless? You know, because in terms of image quality, I think that the Olympus is actually better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll be expecting some nasty emails. (laughs) 
Twitter messages, but well, moving right no. along. Yeah, I mean, the, the point is though that I look at a lot of images every single day from all these different cameras. Yeah, you're in the perfect position to. Uh... Yeah, I am the expert, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're on this show, and that's why I'm going to sit here and talk trash. Um, so my pick this week is the Leica M10. You got any stuff? I don't want you start. No, oh, well, start. maybe we'll start with just a small thing. I just like kind of want to let the audience know that uh, just in general, I'm not working at Stocksy anymore. If anybody is yeah. wondering, not for any uh, super interesting reasons, just that the other work I'm doing um, ended up taking so much time that it was challenging to uh, to do it all. So. In case anybody's wondering. Yeah, there there's not a big dramatic thing to know. Yeah, still, it's just still that, shooting. That, yeah, Tyler is just a busy guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Far too busy. Um, so my thing is actually something that kind of snuck up on me as, as being something I've really loved. And do you know Fjallraven Backpacks? No. Um so it took me a while to learn how to say that name, <laughs> but Seriously. You, you've for sure seen them. Um, it's the, they here, let's type it into Google together. Uh, F J A L L and then it fills in the rest. Um, so they're, they're like really affordable backpacks. They're, oh, right. Okay. You, you know, you, you recognize? Yeah. I recognize the logo now. And they are from Sweden. Is that right? Uh, my search results are in Polish right now, so I can't <laughs> read where it's from. I'm pretty, I'm, I, they are European and, uh, mine has a camera insert in it. So what I like about this being my carry round camera bag is that it, it is a really common brand. So there's nothing to guess by looking at it, that there's a camera in there. So for travel, I, I really like that it is well protected it's not the highest quality bag. Like it's, it is a cheap bag. You can feel that it's a cheap bag, but it's definitely good enough. It like, it gets the job done and it draws less than zero attention to it. And my camera's still safe. Thanks to the insert. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, a, a very affordable recommendation. And then what I've been doing is I'm still traveling with my much larger, um, wait, what brand is Oh, Langley. My, my kind of giant Langley bag that has everything in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I try to avoid walking around with that in the day if I can, because it's it's really, really heavy. So if it's loaded and it's bigger than it needs to be for a day of shooting, typically. On the last trip, I was able to even fit the, the drone in it, the Phantom 4, which is a pretty big drone, plus cameras and stuff. It's a huge bag. So Oh, that's really cool. Because, you know, that's another thing that I don't think that I would want anybody to know I'm carrying around for <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of reasons, probably. And, ah, they've recently changed the laws for drones in Canada that, um, saw that kind of know where you can fly them now. It's, um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like this can't stay the way that it is. Uh, like in Victoria, where Stocksy's based, um, mm-hmm. part of the rules that you can't fly within some number of miles from anywhere that planes land and take off. Um, but there is a Harbor, uh, landing area where uh, sea planes land. So there is nowhere around the city of Victoria that you can fly a drone anymore because over there planes land. Um, yeah. It's way too dangerous. Yeah. And that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. I mean, in the direct area, it, I mean, it does. Like, obviously, we do want to be safe. A lot of drone pilots are not very cautious. I think that the solution, um, I've thought about this a bit just because it's something that I've, I've been curious about, but it's not something that I've felt at any sort of liberty to engage in. So I have considered it. Um, I think that probably the solution is that people would need to be licensed to fly them mm-hmm. um, and then also to maybe maybe there's some kind of a way that the local government whatever can come up with plans so like you if you were planning to do something that you could register to do that plan that you had and and that you could get okayed or cleared to do it um, and I, I know that that does yeah. it kind of takes away from the idea of freedom and and whatnot but I mean you're flying something that could be used as you know, an anti-privacy device. Well, I, or I agree with all the it could first be very dangerous. parts of what you're saying. But to me, if you've gone through that training, which I think is a, a great thing to do, is, is to have people, yeah, be licensed and, 
be very aware of how to operate these aircraft. Um, but if you have done that, my hope would be that then you, you're also bound by the license. So we have some uh, laws that make sense about restricting where you can use it, that they are going to be safe, and that if you are following the rules that you learned when you acquired your license, there would be no issue. That's kind of what I hope for. I I, I don't know. This thing has to shake out in the long run. I, I don't think many people have... It's hard to have an informed opinion because it's still so new, and the craziest things that are going to happen with drones haven't happened yet, so... No. Uh, it's really a curiosity. It's not money that I'll be spending anytime soon, that's for sure. Yeah, it's it's a risky place to spend money. I mean, I, I didn't bring it on this trip and because um, I didn't even know if I could use it. So Well, and I live right outside Washington, D.C., so I just, you know, like yeah, you're not flying a drone is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just not something that, that makes any sense. No. It would be cool. You know, I've often considered, you know, like what, it, you know, maybe renting a helicopter and, you know, doing some aerial stuff of dc but you know then i think about how much that costs versus how much money i might make from those shots mm. and i'm like nah well what's uh what's something that you uh do think people should buy today um in terms of gear i've gotten nothing oh, okay. um yeah so the thing for me is that like maybe it's just that i'm so busy that i don't have any need to to think about it but i haven't needed anything um the only thing that i've been really curious about and that's this is just because of some things that have happened on jobs is maybe improving my tethering options Mm -hmm. um but yeah i haven't bought anything so i've got nothing to to offer in terms of that but i can suggest some new music (laughs) sure i'd love to hear it and i'll say as well i've bought almost no gear since we talked last which is quite a few months yeah for you which is kind of unusual because you're kind of a gear guy yeah um yeah, I think I I think that the bottom line is that I have more than enough that I don't need to like I don't need by, anything. By more than enough, you're talking about the 85, aren't you? That is exactly the more. Um I don't need that. <laughs> I love the I love the focal length, but yeah. Anyway. Um so in terms of music I've been listening to uh there's a new Thundercat. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Which uh, previous recommendation, right? Yeah. And uh this is a full-length record. It's titled Drunk. <laughs> Um, and the cover is hysterical, so uh, go get this record. It's totally good. All right, I'm googling. Um, and some other ones that I also that I've also been enjoying, um, not you know more in the background, but you know still enjoying is uh, there's a new Dirty Projectors record, which is uh, quite good. Um, the new Elbow Little Fictions is listenable. <laughs> listenable. No, it's you can good. Put it's that just, on the box. It's great, actually. Like I think that if you're into like if you need something as an adult that sounds still like somebody's trying it does a good job of that Mm -hmm. but i still i like i i kind of miss the little bit more visceral thing that they did in the earlier career um and then if you want something really nasty um i just got this this thing called good cat bad cat and the uh the 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 title of the record is it feels fantastic Mm -hmm. and man it does it's (laughs) it's it's just it's horrible. It's so good. I love it. When are you going to start your all music podcast? Uh, when I have time, which means I won't have money. <laughs> well, we found time today. Yeah, and people don't want to hear an old dude like me talk about music. Sure, they do. Who no. who is wiser? No, because I'm going to sound like a total jerk, right? Because I'm <laughs> going to be like the shit that these kids listen to today. You know, because it is. It's terrible. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this before I get into trouble. Just trashing uh, the most popular artists out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Good catch. Thanks, Dan.